You're listening to the Union Church Podcast. For more information about Union, please visit unionboston.org. See, why y'all do that? You're supposed to put the best person last. You had Dr. Melissa Pearson go before just Justin J. Pearson. And I feel like I got the bad side of the deal. Um, uh, Dr. Pearson, I am honored to share this day with you. I am grateful to have this opportunity union. Uh, special thanks to Ruby Blake, uh, to Amber Uhouse for helping organize, and Reverend Dr. J. Williams, uh, and Assistant Pastor Nikki. Um, one of the scriptures that is associated uh, with the one that was very ably read, uh, Psalm 119, is actually um, Psalm 19. And I was looking at this one, uh, and they're related, but I want to just read Psalm 19 because I'm going to ground what few words I have to share in that. And uh, my daddy's a pastor, and my granddaddy was a preacher, and my pawpaw was a preacher, and my uncle was a preacher, and they were Baptist folks. Uh, but I ain't going to spend too much, as much time as them. I promise. I promise. So I'll read Psalm 19, and then I'll, I'll hit back to Luke, and then I will say the few words that I have. Um, Psalm 19 reads, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my strength, and my redeemer. And then, Luke, you get one of my favorite women in the Bible who was just so persistent. With Luke 18, 1 through 8. 
That's the parable of this persistent widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God? Bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? In the brief time that is mine with yours, let us pray. God, you've already blessed us. Uh, Dr. Melissa Pearson has set us on a journey of hope, and I ask that the few words that you've given me to speak might do something for somebody to talk about purpose. God, use my voice. That sounds a little raspy today because I've been shouting already. You, God, use my hands as they do your work, God, and use our hearts and the meditation of them so that we might serve you better, and we'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Amen. I believe God is a way maker of paths to purpose. See, I shouldn't be here. I realize that I am the fourth son of teenage parents and I shouldn't be here. I grew up with parents who grew up in broken homes in Memphis, Tennessee. My grandfathers separated with my grandmothers and they raised six children and five children just about by themselves. I realized I shouldn't be here, that I went to one of the top colleges in the country with a scholarship and a Coca-Cola scholarship, and I've been able to speak on different continents. I realized I shouldn't be here, that I, I shouldn't have the opportunity to stand right here, knowing that one out of three black men are going to be incarcerated in the 21st century. I shouldn't be here. But I believe that God creates paths to purpose. I realize that I, too, am a descendant of enslaved persons. Folks who, against their will, were brought from the continent of Africa and built a country, a country that still won't recognize the significance of their investment or the investment of their descendants. But I, those, my people, who built this land, who made democracy as real as it is and keep pushing for it to be better. Those, my people, who created the most powerful economy in the world, those, my people. But I do realize that there have been systems of oppression designed to ensure that those of us who happen to be descendants of those very people are denied access to opportunity educationally and economically and that I shouldn't be here. And yet I'm committed to this thing called a purpose-driven life. And I haven't yet figured it all out. I don't know uh, what the end will be. I know who holds the end of it, though, so I'm okay. Uh, but in my strive for and toward a purpose-driven life, uh, I remember what my mama said. She said, a, uh, 
a skillful sailor can't become skillful if the seas are always calm. You got to have a little rub and tumble. You got to have some high waves and some high tides that you learn to navigate. And I've been able to navigate some of those storms. Grew up financially poor, financially poor, spiritually rich. Good family filled with love, but we grew up financially poor. Had to live in housing at times that were termite infested or roach infested, dealt with violence in our home, violence outside our home. I, I've seen some stormy seas. Still, I believe God is a way maker of paths to purpose. Which brings me intimately to this text of Psalm 19. And I hadn't spent a lot of time with it. Many of you know I was read the Bible uh, front to back. I know it's different ways to read it. But I didn't spend a lot of time on Psalm 19. I read it and was like, good job. <laughs> then I got this opportunity and I had to go back. I had to go back and was able to see some things illuminated in my own story and journey that I hadn't noticed before that I actually believe is a part of our collective journey. And the writer of this, as far as we know, is David. And we all know David, you know, the shepherd boy, David, gets called, you know, Saul's son-in-law, David. David was the most complicated character in the Bible for me. I was like, hold on. My daddy said he still made it to the hall of faith. I was like, David sent, like, the woman's husband to the front lines and killed him. Like, David, he made it to the halls of faith. I was like, we talking about the same David? And then David, he pins all these words, pins all these songs. And this one in particular is so meaningful and impactful to me because I love the way it's set up and structured. He starts off talking about the heavens. And then David talks about the word of God. And then he talks about uh, the strength of God in this personal plea toward the end. And so verses 1 through 6, and I'll abbreviated a little bit, but it goes, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and makes a circuit to the other. And nothing is deprived of its warmth. So in order for David to see the sun and sort of its path, its ability to provide warmth to people, there's some looking up you have to do. See, before the sun rises, you got to be in the dark. And in the dark, King might have said that that's when you see the stars. And so there's something about this path to purpose that connected to me that at points in times you have to look up even when it's darkest in order to see the trajectory of the sun, in order to understand what his warmth might mean. And so looking up is an essential component to finding purpose. It's, it's weird, right? Like your path is in front of you, but there's something about looking up and seeing that you are bigger than something. Something is bigger than just yourself. It's bigger than just the ground that we stand on. That, that if you look up and see some stars or are able to glimpse the beauty of the skies, like you're, you are significant, but you are part of something that is much more significant. So the heavens declare the glory of God. 
So he goes through these wonderful metaphors, and I, I can't help but think about what potential darkness there was before you see the sunrise. In your own story, in mine, I, I've seen a little bit of darkness. I, I, I felt the shun of people. I, I, I know the systems that are continuously oppressing me and my four black brothers and me and my four almost nephews. I know that there's some darkness. The lack of hope, the feelings of despair day after day when we just can't seem to get ahead or get a handle on the world. I, I've seen some darkness, but I still believe that God is a way maker of paths to purpose. And David helps to outline what some of those checks might be for what a purpose-driven life could be. Starting with, and I'm going to use the King James Version. I told you I come from Baptist folk. Uh, but in the King James Version, it says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It's a couple of words I'm just going to point out and I'm going to keep moving because I'm not going to keep you here all night. But perfect and complete. The law of the Lord is perfect and complete. And the next word, converting the soul, a conversion happens. There's something that has to happen in order to be converted. There was a way that you might have been that you had to be converted to. There's a change that is paramount to occurring in order for you to get closer to your purpose. There, in order to be converted, there's something you might have to do. Yeah, you might have to, if you're me, you might have to pray a little longer. If you're me, you might meditate a little longer. If you're me, you might have to read the whole Bible. If, if you're me, in order to be converted fully, there's some work that has to be done. But I, I still believe that God being a way maker provides us the opportunity to be converted from things that we were to be closer to the thing that we ought to be perpetually pressing toward the mark. And there's one word, and then I'm going to move to my next one, sure. Uh, the testimony of the Lord is sure. And I love sure, because sure is so close to surely. And surely goodness and mercy following you all the days of your life is when you know you're working a little closer toward purpose. Not that I've achieved it, but it's good sometimes when, when you get a pat on the back, you know you're closer to some goodness. You heard about mercy with Melissa's sons walking through the door. Goodness and mercy will follow you when you're on your path. So surely, there's another important word, and he says the statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The Lord's word is right, which calls each of us to do right and to advocate for what is right. And so when we see Rodney Reed on death row in Texas and the new evidence that has emerged that likely could exonerate him, he sits in a long line of black men in this country who've been killed by all white hands. It might be a lynching. It might be a jury and a judge and all white attorneys, but if the Lord's statutes are right, in order for us to truly rejoice in our hearts, we too must advocate and do what is right. 
for part of our purpose in being here together, as was preached by the little fella earlier, a part of us being here is that our purposes remain intertwined. That unless there is righteousness and the lives of those who our society shuns, then we cannot truly live into our purposes. We cannot live committed lives when people are being condemned. And this is our work. And so in this line, what it means to me is that there are things that I can do to make myself less intimidating. I might be able to wear a suit and that helps some people see me a little differently. But what I realize and recognize that whether I'm wearing a suit or a hoodie, our realities are still intertwined. And that if we truly want to build a purpose-driven life together in a purpose-driven society, then those privileges that we are afforded by what we can just put on or the degrees that we have on the wall, we have to take those off in a sense in order that we might be able to empathize with those who don't have the same privileges and not because of lack of trying, not because of lack of being deserving, but because they were dealt a set of cards before they got here about who they would be and what they could become. David goes on, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. For a long time, I thought that to fear God, like I always had to tremble when I thought about him. I was like, all right. Fear God. I was like, okay, I'm afraid. <laughs> but I've learned that the fear is truly a reverence. It's a reverence for what God has done and what God is able to do and the scale at which God can do it. See, somebody who four billion years ago put a little light into the sky and created a, an entire universe, like you want to be afraid of that person, but in a sense that is, it is awesome. Not in that you need to bend or be broken or hurt or harmed by this God. But rather the God of the universe. The God who created everything. We can proudly fear this God. Understanding the awesomeness of God's presence. And it's good to know his judgments, her judgments, their judgments. God's judgments are true and righteous. And then David gets to this personal prayer. It's one of my favorite parts. He says, who can discern their own errors? And I said, David, taking somebody's wife, that's an error. <laughs> Killing her husband, I was like, that's an error. David, I'm like, I don't know what's happening. Uh, and then there's the next sentence that says, forgive my hidden faults. See, it's hard to know what you don't know. I was in a conversation with a good friend of mine. She and I had before been talking about education and women in education and STEM and all these other things. I thought it was a great conversation. 
And two weeks later, she was like, we need to talk. I was like, great. We just had dinner, but let's talk. She was like, there are a couple of things that you said that I want you to tweak. She said, I, I don't know if I entirely understood or agreed with this phrase or that phrase. And I said, whoa, okay. My hidden faults and the responsibility of one another is Christian folk. Whether they're Christian or not is to ensure that we help people to expose in some ways their hidden faults. Because see, those you can bring to the, to the altar. Those you can help change and improve. And David had sense enough to go to God and say, you know my hidden faults. And I ask that you forgive them. And then keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. For God to make ways for us is our responsibility to also acknowledge where we have been wayward, where we have committed willful sins, for it is then after confessing to God, and in many cases one another, that we can be presented blameless. And this I have found in my journey to be particularly difficult. Practicing humility is challenging. I grew up one of five boys. My parents raised us to be super confident. My brothers, they got a little more ego than me, I would say. But uh, being humble is a practice that I've been trying to learn. I'm still learning. And what David recognizes there is an intense amount of humility necessary in order to reach blamelessness with God. God already knows. Whatever it is you're struggling with, going through, have done willfully, not willfully, but the ability to say, forgive my faults. The ability to say, I have committed willful sins against my brothers and my sisters, against friends, allows us access to blamelessness before the throne room. Then David ends and says, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's interesting that this comes at the end because everything else fits on those last words. My strength and my redeemer. And now I get to get ready to go so I can hoop a little bit. But the reason I read about the widow is because she understood something about her strength and redeemer. The reason I like the widow is because you can change the widow's name to yours. And you can become an advocate for justice in this world. That you have the capacity to go before the judge and say, I demand justice. You get to go before the city council and say, I demand better housing for people. You get the opportunity to go and write your senator and say, I demand justice for those kids who are being separated at the borders. You get the ability because you know who your strength and your redeemer is. 
You know where your power lies and you get to be like that widow who day after day got to keep going to the judge. And the judge said, I, I better do something before I get worn out, before her pleas for justice wear me out. I, I've got to do something and I'm just asking, are you wearing out some people who are perpetuating injustice? That's part of your purpose. You have to wear out people who are perpetuating injustice and racism and sexism and homophobia and Islamophobia and xenophobia that part of our purpose-driven life means that we are committing one another to a cause of looking up and seeing that we are part of something greater than ourselves and that our strength comes from a redeemer who won't let us go. Our strength comes from a redeemer who lifted us. Our strength comes from somebody who reaches to us, who picks us up and will carry us forward. Our strength is right here in this room. Our strength is right next to us. And I'm just so glad, and I still believe that this God, this God, is still a way-making God to purpose. God bless you. For listening to this podcast. For more information about Union Church, please visit unionboston.org.